Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. This is your host, Tyler, and today with me I have Alex Gavick. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tyler. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. And um, we're doing this on a Zoom on a Zoom recording because you are in Salt Lake City, you said. Um, and if you could tell the audience, uh, where are you living at the moment? Uh, yeah. So I'm currently living full-time in my van. Uh, since July, I, well, in July, I bought a van. And um, with all the free time, I, I built it all summer long. Me and a friend of mine um, put hundreds of hours into this build. Yeah. And uh, yeah, basically to be able to afford it, I decided that I needed to live in it full time because it's like a brand new van. So it's kind of expensive. Uh, uh, so I'm like supplementing, like it'd be like paying rent. Um, yeah. So I live in my van in Salt Lake City. That's awesome. And uh, what was, what was like the defining moment when you decided that you wanted to build this van and fully live in it? Like when were you like, I'm done with living in one spot? Um, it's kind of been years in the making. I bought a big truck some years ago. So I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of saw the tiny home movement before it was a tiny home movement. That's really where it all came to play up in the Northwest up there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I bought a big truck like six or seven years ago and I was going to build a tiny home in the back of the bed of it. Um, but the truck just kept giving me problems. So I couldn't really afford to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sold that and just like, stayed in the stayed in the Subaru that I had while I was driving the Subaru and just like living in the house that I was renting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I started climbing six or seven years ago. And once I really started going down to the desert to climb a lot, I was introduced to this van life. Like I'd never really seen it before, but yeah, uh, the dirt, the dirt bags of the desert, they <laughs> live in their vans full time. And I just seen so many van builds. And then some of my close friends, uh, built and lived in their van i had a friend who lived in his van full time for a couple of years and i was always like wow like this would be so epic like <laughs> house on wheels you don't ever like have to really i mean you can like living in like having a camper in the bed of a truck you can you have to get out it's a little bit less incognito um so i can pretty much i just like park in neighborhood streets and i don't ever get hassled because you can't really tell that it's a van that I'm living in. Um, mm -hmm. Ideally, I left it pretty blank on the outside. But uh, yeah, so over the years of climbing in the desert, I really just thought it would be cool. And uh, now I'm like fully like bought a van, signed my life away, got rid of all my stuff. I literally only have like outdoor gear left and <laughs> like some clothes. And uh, yeah, now I'm like fully committed. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I told you when you were messaging, I live in Jackson Hole and just being kind of like an outdoor destination, you see vans and different like camper builds everywhere. So it's really cool as I'm kind of figuring out how I want to do that just to get inspiration from just driving around and seeing like, oh, that guy did like a van and he has big tires and he has like a bike rack on the side or like this other guy has, um, you know, like here, there's a lot of like those camper builds. You can see I get to see a lot of like the different ways to go about it living here. So. Yeah. 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 Same here. Um, Cause I was, I've been in uh, living in park city before. I mean, now in the van, I live down in Salt Lake, just logistically a, you're not allowed to sleep in a vehicle up in park city. It's against the law. And uh, it's like much warmer down here in the Valley. So it's yeah. just like 
more plausible to sleep in the van. But uh, Park City, you know, everyone's pretty rich up there. So you get to see like all the different crazy, yeah. you know, the, the sprinter revels. And my neighbor, when I was building my van, she showed me her Ford that was built out by whoever it was that built it out nice and fancy. And mm-hmm. So it was cool to see that. And then, yeah, through the climbing community, just like seeing like I've seen sick Astro vans and I've seen sprinters and pro masters and transits and I've seen a lot of them, but yeah, yeah, it was cool to go through the process. It was like, it was a lot more work than I was actually expecting. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll go into like how I was in- introduced to you. So I found yeah. you, I- I'm a snowboarder, split border, get out there with my dogs on Teton Pass here. And I-, I started seeing your TikToks of you with the, um, the 360 GoPro cam and you would be you climbing these insanely tall mountains and going down these like super skinny couloirs and the way you shoot it with your 360 cam is just it feels like i'm along for the ride and it's like it was so cool so i I saw a couple of them and i was like i gotta follow this guy yeah yeah i uh i've always had this idea of having that fpv view from behind and uh some years ago um powder chaser steve you know powder chaser yeah he uh he gave me this mount and it's just like this super crazy mount that no one i don't know who made it it doesn't have a brand on it um a lot of people ask me how i get this these shots and i mean basically it's a pole in my pack with the 360 cam mm-hmm. but yeah i've i've tried this shot before with just a normal gopro and it never works because the gopro points in one direction and yeah snowboarding you're in all sorts of directions but uh the gopro max came out and i was like this is the ticket like this is exactly what i've been waiting for yeah and uh so i I did some test runs with it and it was like holy crap this is gonna be epic and uh yeah like tiktok really took a liking to it (laughs) i got like something like 20 million views last winter and uh yeah yeah, I went from like zero following in December to like 130,000 followers by April. And um, yeah, it was, it was like super fun to go out there. I was actually like last winter, I was just planning on shooting a lot of photos. And uh, then the Max came out and I got like very tunnel vision. I didn't shoot much photo. My camera gathered a lot of dust last winter. So, uh, but yeah, I did a lot with the GoPro Max. It was pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think the 360 shooting of it adds like adds an aspect of like if you're not there or have never been in like these sort of couloir or like high highly exposed areas like you like you seem to go in um if you're just shooting down like down the hill you can't really get the full effect or near some of the effect of like what it feels to be there and like how you know there's like a thousand foot rock wall to your right. And then to your <laughs> left, there's like a thousand foot cliff to going down. And I think the 360 really helps with that. So that was like, I know what like he's looking at right here because I've been in a couple situations like that. Yeah, definitely. And it's really nice because the 360, you just like, you can put it however you want it and then you can adjust the, uh, the field of view later in post. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. like, it's, it's nice to be able to, and you can like clip it you can do something forward and you can clip the same shot looking backwards. And so it's like, you can use it multiple times in multiple different manners. So yeah, super fun. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, go into a little bit of, uh, your photography. I know you just said that you didn't do a ton of it last, 
winter, but is that like a, a major source of income for you at all? Um, I wouldn't call it a major source of income. It's a minor source of income. Yeah. Uh, most of my income, actually, I've been a massage therapist for the last seven years. Oh, um, sick. So, yeah, kind of like, I don't ever really like post anything about that, but I do a lot of body work. I know a lot about anatomy, which like is super rad being an athlete because I know how to keep myself healthy. Mm -hmm. My friends ever get injured, like I'm always willing to like either help them or, uh, uh, sorry, I had a phone call coming in. I'm either willing to help them or like at least give them like the right, sort of tips um and things like that so that's like my main source of income uh photography is like you know very minor source of income for a long time it's just been something i really love to do Mm -hmm. um yeah so uh i really got into shooting photographs with a professional camera i moved to moab uh, like three summers ago i lived in moab and i was doing massage uh, out in Moab and basically it was it was in the summertime so it's too hot to do anything Mm -hmm. um so i was just like driving around I drove like 3,000 miles or something around Moab in the mornings and in the evenings like shooting the Milky Way and shooting landscape stuff and uh I mean turned out I took decent photos (laughs) but uh yeah and a lot of the photographs that I've made money on is like doing I like to shoot a lot of like portrait stuff um I have this friend of mine from Oregon um well, two friends, one Darcy Baca, he's like the best, one of the best snowboarding photographers ever. Uh, so back when I was 18 years old, living on hood, he was shooting some shoots with like Johnny Paxson, old time, uh, pro snowboarder. Um, and I got to like, just randomly jump into a shoot up on Palmer. We were like, we set up this jib and we're like jibbing this huge boulder. And, um, I got to see some like insane flash photography mm-hmm. and I've always been interested in it. Finally, I like make a decent enough living where I could like buy things for luxury. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I, I've always wanted the flash from that point of view. And then, um, I started seeing another friend of mine, Adrian Blair. He shoots like a lot of sweet portraits up in Portland. Um, and that was just like the turning point of like, all right, I'm going to buy an off-camera flash. So I went out and bought this big Explorer 600 flash. Uh, it's like, so it's totally um, like on battery power. So I can like put it, I can take it to the top of a mountain and shoot it um, anywhere in any environment. And it turned out like super rad. So a lot of the income that I had through photography was just like portraiture stuff um, with like an off-camera flash, uh, which turned out to be super fun like it's kind of funny being like an adventure type person and like i really love shooting portraits <laughs> it's, yeah it's fun so for sure yeah i'm looking at your instagram right now this one of uh who is this maxwell that's a cool one yeah max that was uh that was this last summer um i just gotten injured i scorpioned over the handlebars on my mountain bike and oh yeah s- so I was doing a bunch of yoga and, uh, I was about, I was still not working from COVID. Um, I worked shut down from like March 15th to July 1st. So it was like mid June. I decided I was going to go up and see my family up in Portland. And, uh, I stopped on the way and Maxwell and I met up and we skied the Newton Clark headwall, which is like the East face of Mount hood. Um, so we go, went up from Mount hood meadows, skinned up, skied the noon clark headwall was like super steep i was like holy cow mm-hmm. i actually want to go ski that um in the winter time you can take it like 
something like 7,000 vert, uh, well, which is pretty rad. Uh, yeah. And then the next day we actually went around to Timberline and went up like the normal Mountaineers route and uh, summited and we got to ski like perfect conditions off the summit. It was, it was pretty rad. So, um, That's sick. but yeah, we, we set up a little portrait shoot that night nice. before. Yeah. Uh, to kind of, to kind of uh, pull you back for a second. Um, yeah. You, you said the word jibbing earlier, and I know what that means, but not all my audience knows what the word jibbing means. So could you explain jibbing for the non-skier or snowboarder? Jibbing? Well, I said jibbing? I j- you said, or set up a jib. You set up a jib on a boulder or something like that along those lines. Oh, yeah, yeah, jibbing. Uh, yeah, jibbing, um, it's just kind of like playing around. Uh, I mean, most like a jibber would be like, sliding your board on a rail or a feature yeah in this rail case, or were, box or yeah like a, uh or rock we were jibbing a rock so yeah <laughs> i was like i said jibbing uh yeah, yeah so <laughs> we, it's like sliding sliding uh it's, it's a style of snowboarding where you're you're jumping onto and off of a feature and like sliding across it uh, sliding or spinning yeah or tapping yeah tapping it's pretty broad and it also could be an object <laughs> It's a verb and an object. Yeah, a jib. A jib can be like a, a boom, like a camera arm that moves the camera to high places through like a big long. Yeah. Point. Yeah, or like a or like if there's like a tr- like a tree that's like pointing out away from the hill, you could like jib on that, and that would also be a jib. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> uh, could you could you talk a little bit about how you got into um, I mean, I imagine you've snowboarded for, you know, forever, but talk about how you got into split boarding specifically and moving more into the backcountry, and then, you know, how you got more and more ambitious to do some of the things that, that I've been seeing, which are crazy cool approaches and lines that, that you've been doing. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, forever I was a park rat growing up on hood, like that's what we did. We always waited for the big jump lines to come up and, so I moved to Park City. Um, Park City had, you know, for a while, like King's Crown is like a super park that they used to put up for the public every year. It was like insane, like 80 foot step downs and things like that. Um, so I was doing that the winter of 10-11. So the summer of 2010, I was living in Park City. It was my first summer in Park City. Um, I worked my face off like 60 hours a week and bought a snowmobile. Oh, and uh my buddy James Bueller, he's like one of the guys I ride with a lot. Um, we both, well, he bought a snowmobile too. And then we were like out, we did like 2,000 miles of snowmobiling, like just right outside of Whoa. Park City. Yeah, it was like we did a ton of sledding. And so we were just out there like building backcountry jumps and we we're jumping into powder. And that winter was like one of the best years on record. Um, so it was like powder every day from like, the middle of October until uh, it shut off in like March or something. It was like powder every day. It was insane. Uh, so that's like what, that was my first winter ever in the backcountry. Um, but I still didn't get into split boarding. Um, I was still like kind of toying with park riding and things like that. And then um, 2012, I did the North Face Masters of Snowboarding. It's like a big mountain contest that they used to run all over the country. There was a few stops and there were like 
qualifier for the world qualify uh, world uh, the free ride world tour, and, and um, yeah, so like I did the North Face Masters, and somehow like I'd never ridden big lines like that. Like watching some of those guys, like Sammy Lubke, Tim Carlson, um, Rylan Bell, like all these guys, like they were so crazy, like how they could see a line and go to the top of it and like flow down it. I didn't know how to flow down a mountainside. <laughs> like I, I knew how to hit jumps. Uh, that's what I knew. Uh, but that really taught me, like I just kind of like fully immersed myself in that. And uh, yeah, so I went to all three of the North Face Masters. It was, where was the first stop? The first stop was Crystal Mountain and then Kirkwood and then Snowbird. And I made actually, I made all the finals. And then at Snowbird, I got like ninth. Um, that was my best finish ever. Um, and I was like super psyched. I wanted to do the world tour. So the next season I signed up for the, the masters stop again. Um, I went to, it was out in, uh, Squaw Valley and, um, I did that. And then I'd signed up for a competition in Taos and right before Taos, uh, my friend Crochet and I, he's, a he was a, a good friend of ours that we, have uh, done tons of filming with. He's a videographer. Um, we were filming right outside of this cooler in Little Cottonwood Canyon on was what was a poor excuse for pillows. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Utah doesn't get very good pillows every now and then you'll find them. But mm. yeah, so I was basically riding down like boulders with snow on top of them. And uh, first round of the day, I was riding down. I went out in the back seat off of a, a pillow. Uh, and I butt checked after like 20 feet on a rock. Oh. Uh, I, sh I shattered my sacrum, my compression fractured L1. Uh, yeah, it was really bad. I was in the trauma center for three days. Like it was like, I almost died. Like it was, it was pretty severe. Um, yeah. And, uh, after that, um, Maxwell Morrill is a friend of mine who that you just uh, pointed out the photo that's on mm -hmm. my Instagram, the portrait. Uh, he and I had been chatting over Instagram for a while and we decided to go out for like a small tour. Like it was like two months later. Um, I just went out and did some super casual like splitboarding, basically like showed me the area of the Wasatch. Like for so long I lived in park city and I never went to the cottonwoods. I didn't go to the cottonwoods for six or seven years. Maybe <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that's not what I was about. I was like, I was a park rat, yeah. but, um, that's when I like really fell in love with splitboarding, like seeing the Wasatch. And that's kind of where the name wild, wild Wasatch came from. Uh, my social media handle it's uh, I was out there and we were doing this tour and I was looking at all these lines and I was like, wow, this is wild. And I was like, wow, this is wild, wild. <laughs> and uh, that's like actually where, that's where it came from. It was a tour. That's awesome. was like, <laughs> uh, so that's when um, I started splitboarding and then like, um, James Beeler, um, and then on my other buddy, Austin Smith, I was like, you guys like splitboarding is the answer. Like we need to be splitboarding. It's always powder. Like it's sick. Like, and so it took them a little while to jump on board, but like once they jumped on board, we were just like full blown, like in the backcountry. So, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's, I got my splitboard. Um, so I, I moved to Jackson just over a year and a half ago. It'll be, it'll be two years in March. 
Um, so I got my split board right before last Christmas. I got a Jones solution um, because I have, I have two Huskies and love bringing them with me mountain biking. And obviously you can't bring them into the resort. And then there's a, only a couple boot packable areas here. But I figured like getting a split board just unlocks like the entire backcountry to do, to just go wherever I wanted and bring mm-hmm. them along with me. And like, like you said too, just ride only powder pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've really like stepped away from resort riding, not anything against resorts in general. It's just like, yeah, kind of, it's kind of boring to me. Like, I don't know why it's just become boring. Um, but I, I just like to ride powder and if it's not powder, I basically like to like go to the desert and climb cracks. <laughs> yeah. It's like splitters or split boarding is kind of like what my life has turned into. <laughs> you should, you should have like, like if you did a podcast, this would be called, or you did like a blog or something like splitters or split boarding. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally getting, so getting into split boarding for me, it was like, I've always loved snowboarding. I've snowboarded since, um, I don't know what year it was, but when Johnny Tsunami came out, remember that movie? Mm-hmm. When that movie came out is when I started snowboarding. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit, this is, this snowboarding sick. Yeah. And I was, and I lived in Minnesota at the time. I grew up in Minnesota. So it was like down little hills and stuff. Um, snowboarded all my life. And then you're right. And you, and you were saying that um, how resort riding, for me, it got a little bit stale. Like if it wasn't mm. full on nuking powder where yeah. I could like jump off stuff and, you know, really push the limits of JHMR. Um, it wasn't like I was having that great of a time. Yeah. So getting into the backcountry more and splitboarding is like a whole, was like a whole new way to love snowboarding for me. You know, it's like, I can real, I can learn something new about like avalanche safety, backcountry safety, you know, the fitness aspect of your we're walking up everything we do. And I think you enjoy the way down then a lot more. Um, and it's pow and it's with the dogs. And it, there's this like communal sort of vibe out there where you see other people because I'm not, I'm not going as deep as you. I don't think you seem to be pretty far out there. Um, but there's people around that kind of get a good vibe from. So it's like a whole new way to love snowboarding for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really slows it down and it really like, puts you in the mountains like yeah you get to like walking up you're like you know you're surrounded by nature and you get to kind of like slow down and enjoy the sounds of the birds chirping and mm-hmm. you know the sometimes the smell of the pines like it's just like the little things like that like i like going uphill as much as i like going downhill now mm-hmm. and the, the the resort it's like it can like seem really chaotic uh, yeah. you get all these people who get like especially in like go to snowbird on a powder day it is people get so aggro it's insane like some people's ego and like they just i don't i don't know what it is but some people just like aren't having a good time out there unless like no one else is around not bothering them so uh, you kind of get away from that a bit more in the mountains yeah. out here so yeah yeah it's a good point I, I did a um have you ever been here to jackson hole at all yeah i've been um uh, my first time to Jackson, I split boarded off the pass. Um, so we went off like the left side and South, out into yeah. the trees yeah. um, and did a little bit out there. And then um, we did a day at Jackson Hole, almost died out of gate two. That was pretty insane. 
got clipped out, clipped <laughs> out on a like on a heavy wind slab on a powder day. Didn't know where we were going. Oh we were like, no! Uh, yeah, so that was pretty heady. Um, and yeah, I went for like a real short walk in the park, and uh, I was with my girlfriend at the time, and she like twisted her knee on the skin trail. We we're gonna go try to like look at the grand, but um, we ended up like bailing early. So I haven't yeah. done much. The Tetons are high on my list. I was actually going to try to spend the whole month of April out there uh, with everything shut down, but then like everything really shut down and they like closed the park and everything. So yeah. um, I didn't get to spend that time up there, but Um, yeah. Yeah. I only asked cause um, I was going to tell a story about doing a a thing on the pass. So you went on the South side of the pass on the North Mm -hmm. side is Mount glory. And that's one of the most popular routes here for backcountry. You can boot pack it. It's basically like a stair stepper for an hour. Yeah. Um, like 1800 vert. It's, it's a really good like intro to backcountry to see if you like climbing stuff to, to ride <laughs> it down, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did it. I did a sunrise hike of that the other day and I, I just would, I, I make it a point to myself to stop and turn around and look at what I'm, you know, you get so stuck and just looking down at your, your boots going up. So I made a point to stop and continually look back and see the sun coming up and see the colors and all the mountains behind you because you look when you're on that boot bike, you look straight south and you see just you see the valley a little bit, you see um Teton Valley, Idaho a little bit, but you see just like this vast wilderness of the um what mountain range is that? Not the Tetons. The Tetons end at Teton Pass. But whatever mountains those are, it's just it's just like vast <laughs> and you just see like peak after peak after peak, just layers going on forever. You can't see anything that's human except for the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so I just make it a point to myself to, to pick up those, those little aspects that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Nothing like walking through the morning, like, uh, waking up at, I wake up at two 30 in the morning sometimes, mm-hmm. make breakfast, make coffee, go get on the skin trail, 4am headlamps. Yeah. Uh, and then like nothing like the first like moments of light, yeah, uh, and then the skies turn blue. We t- call it blue hour, like right before the sunrise. Everything mm-hmm. kind of like has a blue hue. Yeah, and uh, yeah, then nothing like a cold morning having the sun. Like the first glimpse of sun in the morning is like, yeah, it's warming and it's inviting and it's like, this is why I'm doing this. <laughs> it kind of yeah. reminds you sometimes. Sometimes it can be miserable out there in the morning. So, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I I climbed the I hiked the middle twice this summer, um, mm-hmm. Middle Teton. And so you have to start at like 3 a.m. for that. Yeah. Um, and then the sun starts to rise like as you get up pretty high, like nine, you know, 9,000, 10,000 feet. And, and I don't know if there's something different about being at altitude for sunrise, but it seems different. Like it seems different than something even in the valley floor or like something at like, you know, Minnesota elevation. The sunrises seem different colors. It feels different probably because we just hiked up something for a couple hours. <laughs> Yeah, a lot more effort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, but yeah, that's awesome. Um, and what is your? Uh, what would you say is your most ambitious or like biggest climb that you've done on your splitboard? Most ambition, the ambitious climb on the splitboard. Um, hmm. I mean, I've done. Honestly, I've just been around the Wasatch and like most of my stuff has been around the Wasatch and like I 
back in the day, like I would have called them big and ambitious. A lot of the approaches here like have gotten much more manageable. Mm -hmm. So um, I, it's really hard to say. It's hard to say like, you know, just some of the deepest reaches of the Wasatch are, they're easy to get to in a, in a sense, but they're like so remote as well. Like, you know, they're potentially like three and a half hours of like, really pushing it hard cardio or like five hours if you're like taking your time and dilly dallying and like keeping your heart rate down so i mean you know like the the deeper stuff like thunder mountain or the pfeiffer horn um those are like that's pretty much as big as it gets in the wasatch like everything's like pretty manageable which is why i live here like the access is like easier um mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't say i've I don't know. None of it really seems crazy to me anymore. I, I guess I've just like done it so much around here that it just seems like second nature. Um, yeah. But, but, it's, but it certainly sounds crazy to like, <laughs> even to like my girlfriend, she lives here. She lives here with me, but she doesn't do like crazy big stuff. We, we've climbed uh, Jackson peak here, but um, even her being around it and she hears some of the things that people like you do or people around here do and she's just blown away so like it's it's yeah. uh it's a lot of like your your perspective on it that definitely it the crazy the craziest uh, if we're not talking about approaches and we're talking about like snowboarding the craziest thing i've by far ever done was with james beeler he and i went out it was two springs ago and we went and did uh, Crochetti's Ribbon at the Alta Ski Resort. It's like on the Devil's Castle. It's like the back bowl of Alta. Uh, so Alta's skiers only. We went there after they closed. Um, we had a pretty good spring that year. And the ribbon is like this strip of snow that criss, uh, crosses through the Devil's Castle. And you can see it from like the road. It's, it's, it looks insane. Um, so Jan, it's, it's a line that's in this book that has 90 steep ski descents of the Wasatch, mostly the Wasatch. There's a couple lines outside of the Wasatch. But, mm -hmm. um, it's called uh, The Shooting Gallery by Andrew McLean. And there's this line, Crochetti's Ribbon. And, you know, every, we've all seen it. And I've, like, just never really looked into it. Um, I, yeah. I looked it up. Dude, this is insane. Yeah. So James reached out to me and he was like, hey, like, do you want to go do this with me? And he's like, crow is going to film it. And like, if you'll do it with me, that we're going to have ropes and we'll have a trad rack so we can place protection in the rocks and we'll just like pitch it out in three pitches. So we did in like three different rope segments. Um, I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> and uh, I didn't do any research. I never, I never looked into it. Um, it was, buck wild like it was super crazy i'd never been so scared and uh so afterwards it turns out i didn't even know like i guess we were the first two snowboarders who ever went across that thing um i didn't know that was the case and then supposedly we were the first people to ever do the crux like there's like this finger of rock that pokes down into the middle of it and it uh -huh. leaves literally it leaves literally like 18 inches of snow underneath it between like the top of the rock and like a 300 foot cliff off of the bottom and like 
James was like, yeah, dude, we're going to go down and around and under. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and uh, he went through it and like, I followed it and it was definitely a no fall zone. Like, even though we were roped up, like if like the gear was spaced out enough that if we would have fallen either one of us, like we would have gone over the edge and who knows what would have happened. Either you'd be dangling in free space or your rope's going to get like sliced over the edge of the rocks because it's going to like cheese grade and it was like down and around that crux my toe edge was literally resting on rocks like i could feel the rocks under me like i wasn't on snow anymore it was like <laughs> the worst feeling i've ever had and i was like <laughs> I was oh like, my gosh what? dude i was like well, it kind of yeah it gives me goosebumps thinking about it i was like what are we doing right now and James <laughs> like, dude if you want to like we can turn around like you don't have to do this and i was like I mean, I'm like here and I took out the last piece of pro that was in like right under the crux and uh, the crux is like the hardest part of, you know, a climb or a line or things like that. We were right in that cruxy section. and I mean, we pushed through it and it was like, I mean, we weren't even snowboarding at that point. It's like so traversy that we're just like pushing ourselves with an ice axe. Like it was like, it was, I mean, it's, kind of dumb in the sense of like that but it was like super extreme um that was definitely the gnarliest thing i've ever managed to get myself into on a snowboard so yeah dude that's insane for those that are just listening so just i just <laughs> i just googled ribbon alta resort and this is like I, I would almost call this just like a hanging like skinny snow field where it's like just like you said a strip of snow over a enormous cliff um and it falls like uh 50 degrees like downward the wrong way like downhill like it's yeah. not flat up there it's like it's like you're traversing across like yeah. an angle of like 50 degrees almost the whole way yeah it's super so steep. insane so like you know if that snow isn't stable and you're relying on it if anything slips or your edge slips or you lose focus for a moment you you know, your dad or you're dangling over in free space. That's insane, dude. Yeah, we had some buddies. So we did it. And then the next year, uh, we had three buddies, uh, Mike Maru, Taylor Palmer, and uh, Justin Morgan. Uh, they went out as a three-pack, which is a little bit like we did it as a two-pack, which let us like take a full rope and then a rope and then a rope. And uh they did it in a three pack. So they were doing it in like thirds, which like makes it a lot longer process. Like when James and I did it, we were on the line for like three and a half hours. Like I said, that, that slope that you're traversing across is really steep. So I wouldn't imagine a goofy snowboarder will ever do it because it'd be on their heel edge. So we were on our toe edge for like mm -hmm. three and a half hours or something. But these guys went out and they kind of epic on it. Um, they had a big long day. I think they were online for like, eight hours one of them got like frostbite on his toes um taylor was leading the crux like down and around the bottom i guess now ethically people are like since we went down and under the crux like people are trying to like take the crux on their skis and their boards now without unstrapping um but taylor like i guess like a piece of the rock like fell off and landed on his split board and like broke his binding and like tacoed his like the the joint of his split board like tacoed and like he was like i said it's like 18 inches of snow right there and i was resting on rocks on a pretty decent snowpack so yeah i would imagine that 
he was pretty close to being in the same position. Um, luckily, you know, they all made it off safely in the scheme of things, but, uh, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it didn't go quite as smoothly. It's kind of crazy. That's insane, dude. Like, does it ever, does it ever freak you out that like, because you did something people are going might try to replicate it and could get hurt. Like, does that ever, does that ever idea ever creep in? No. Uh, I mean, like I try to let it be known like through my social media that like what I do is highly dangerous. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I remember my first time going up Mount Superior, like Superior is like one of the most iconic lines in the Wasatch and it's a pretty easy approach like to me now like i can go superior in like an hour and a half it's like a couple miles and three thousand vert and if you're like if you're cooking like you can get up it but i remember my first time like i felt so out of my element up there mm -hmm. it's like this just skinning on like the side hill up there is it's really steep the road is like you can see the road down below you it's like two thousand feet 2500 vert down and like it's pretty sustained steepness and excuse me. Um, yeah. If, I mean, when you're up there, it's like, you know, it's real. Like, so if you're not ready for it, like I think most people back off and a lot of people start slowly. Um, yeah. So yeah. Don't get in over your heads up there. People. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's a fine line between like, you wanted to be ambitious and, and do some bigger things as you get more knowledgeable and more experience in the backcountry. uh, you know, between that and over pushing yourself to something you shouldn't be doing. And it's a very fine line. And a lot of it rests on the snow quality at that moment, probably. Yeah. Like I did, I did a, a climb last year called the pyramid or mm -hmm. no pyramid peak. I mean, um, and there it's like a four hour ascent. Um, 3,500 vert, but I get to the top and there's like a, a monument to a guy who did it every single day and eventually died in an avalanche on it. And then later wow. in the season, I saw an avalanche on it. And yeah. so it's just kind of like freaky to me. Like at some days I think I'd like to do it again and maybe bring my girlfriend up there or friends and it'd be a fun thing. And then some days I'm like, Oh shit. But like, what if I'm there? What if that's the day that something slides on it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's so hard. And I honestly like a lot of people ask me to like, Oh, can you teach me how to go out there? And it's like a lot of times I say no, like, especially when I'm in like mid season mode, uh, when I'm going out to like bigger objectives, I definitely like don't, I try not to take anyone that I think will be in over their heads for any reason. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like if anything, I take people out to like this, there's a beginner area right in the town. So Alta is also a town. Um, it's not a, just a ski resort. Mm. Um, the town of Alta, you know, has like phenomenal backcountry access. And there's a really friendly beginners area out there called Grizzly Gulch. And uh, that's like where I'll take people if like I'm teaching. Mm. Um, but yeah, I try not to take people. And I, I'm never like taking a rookie up mount superior like even though for me it feels like oh it's super casual like i always try to remember like that first day i was going up mount superior and how scared i was and like i was a really good snowboarder still at that point like i just it's like skinning's different it's, it's a lot more 
balance. It's almost like slab climbing with like friction. There's like no holds anywhere and you just have to balance your way up the mountain. Mm -hmm. That's what skinning uphill is like. And uh, yeah, I always tried to remember that like, you know, I know what I'm doing out there and not everyone can just like jump in and be super comfortable. So, yeah. 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 We just, we just went, um, my girlfriend, and I went through that this, this week, actually her, her sister and her sister's boyfriend were out here, uh, from Minnesota. And so they're, you know, not, not an altitude shape. They're not great skiers. They don't have any backcountry experience <laughs> and they decided they yeah. wanted to do that one day. Um, and uh, and just luckily because of because we have Teton Pass here, like we can you can get a, a decent ride by just shuttling. Um, mm. So we decided we were going to do something in the past. We just like go towards the south, but you kind of just boot pack up like this first little hump right there, and you just go down you know the valley and make your way yeah. down to a trailhead and get get in the car. Um, and it was a twenty minute. It's a twenty minute hike up to this little point. And they're like dying. <laughs> Even yeah. Stephen, who was, who's been on the podcast, was like on his hands and knees, like wheezing. And oh, no. <laughs> it was just like, it was just like, I, I think there's a, a fitness barrier to that separates people that that shouldn't be doing some of those ambitious ambitious things from doing the ambitious things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it takes like it's crazy how the years of just doing it compounds into like all around fitness. Yeah. And even like my summer activities of climbing have like taken me now to where like I started track climbing. So there's like sport climbing where you're in the gym and clipping bolts that are already there or outdoors clipping bolts that are already there. And then there's trad climbing where you're like placing these tradition. It's trad is short for tra- traditional. It's like placing the original protection of, of pieces of metal that like expand in the cracks and mm-hmm. that allows you to go into like the bigger mountains and go climbing safely. And, uh, so now I carry, you know, climbing gear that can weigh like, you know, you have a full 70 meter rope, which can be like 15 pounds and you have 10 pounds of climbing gear. And then you have camping gear, you have food, you have to carry your water. And then you're hiking up, like there's a really good climbing zone out here that you hike up like 5,000 vert. Uh, and you take all that weight up 5,000 vert. Yeah. And so like that really compounds into like all year fitness and uh, the average Joe just, <laughs> just can't do it. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of crazy. For sure. Yeah. I, I notice it like I'll, I'll, we go back to Minnesota every once in a while for weddings and stuff and I'll be there for a week and then come back here and I'm just like dying. Like if I'm, I mountain bike in the summer mm-hmm. um, and I'm just like wheezing over stuff. It's like, it happens quick if you're not keeping up with it and like doing yeah. stuff, getting up higher and higher if you have access to it yeah i've lived at six thousand feet up in park city for the last 10 years so like um i definitely have the altitude like as a friend but i think they say it's like only four weeks you can like completely lose it all if you go down to sea level it only takes like four weeks to go back to like reverting so yeah it goes yeah. away really fast definitely that's wild um yeah what else should we talk about i don't really like script a lot of these things i kind of just like i know i know where i want to start and kind of some things i want to talk about but i don't like write i don't write down questions i don't have anything in front of me here besides like my phone to look at the things we're talking about yeah but yeah um what was it like have you uh so how long have you had the the handle of uh wild wild wasatch 
I think I put it together in 2014. I think okay. that's when I like changed it from like Alex Gavick or whatever. I, I don't even know what it used to be, honestly. Uh, uh, like, because Wild Wild Wasatch was like a GoPro series that I was doing at the time. Um, so that's like, that caught a bit of traction like back with Transworld back in the day. And so like Transworld was posting it and Snowboarder Mag was posting it and Snowboard Mag was posting it. And uh, yeah, now it's like, I sometimes toy with the idea like, do I even need this handle anymore? But I, I, I really like it. So <laughs> yeah, like you're it. definitely known from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super, brand. it's super wild. Like how many people I like run into in the backcountry, And like, it's, it's funny. Like that's just kind of how the world has come nowadays. It's like, Oh, well, what's your Insta handle? Yeah. And it, it comes out sometimes like, Oh yeah. Like I follow you. I hear that like more times than I think I would. Cause I don't have that many followers. Like, yeah. So I was, yeah, I was just going to ask, like, do you get recognized? Like if certainly if you're at your snowboard gear, like they're like, Oh, I know that helmet and those stickers and that jacket. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, his face I, or his first. Yeah. Name. Yeah. I uh, actually just had the first like random post tag in a story. Um, just, I was, when we just got our like last big storms, which was like in November, um, I was snowboarding down and, uh, so when I scorpioned over the bars on my mountain bike, I was wearing my helmet, like my snow helmet mm -hmm. and like I hit a rock and it like broke the helmet. So, um, I had to go back to like one of my old school helmets, which is like <laughs> this old helmet that I tiger striped. Like I, I put like, I put like, <laughs> the tape oh, on I it and it. I, I spray painted orange with tiger stripes and, uh, I was wearing that and someone like tagged me and they said, that's how they saw me it was like oh yeah i know that helmet <laughs> <laughs> that's so, hilarious yeah nah, that's my only helmet i have now so that's what i'm gonna be wearing this winter <laughs> nice it's good branding um yeah what what kind of splitboard and snowboard setup do you have right now do you get do you get or sorry different question <laughs> have you gained any like sort of sponsorship things or anything like that from from your social media sex, success yeah so um funny enough yeah i i have uh for the last six years i was riding for rosignol snowboards um one of the, the usa team manager reached out to us back in 2015 after we uh we i mean me james Bueller, austin smith crocheting uh maxwell moral we were all like filming a bunch of little edits that were going on Transworld and uh Tom Lebsack, he was a North American team manager at the time from Rosignol, reached out to us and like asked us if we wanted to ride and we were all super psyched. And uh, so, yeah, our crew, we were riding for Rosignol for a, a long time. And actually, I just stepped away from that this winter. Um, yeah. So this winter, I'm going sponsorless. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently sponsorless. I'm currently sponsorless. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, I think... So I was just like getting product, which is, which is super rad. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like I was really, I'm really like trying to get out and like progress snowboarding and, and go do like, I was supposed to go to Denali this uh, summer in June and I was going to try to summit and ski off the summit of Denali. And I wanted to ski the Mesner Kular and Orient X, which are like, uh, two separate, like 5,000 vertical foot lines that take you from like 19,000 foot of elevation down to 14,000 feet of elevation, like the base camp, uh, advanced base camp up there. But mm -hmm. 
Um, and that was going to be like, ideally like kind of stepping stone work to like, I want to go do some bigger stuff in the Himalaya eventually. Um, I have some <laughs> kind of crazy objectives on my mind out there that I, that's yeah, very ambitious. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard for me. I like back in the day, snowboarders used to like make money snowboarding. <laughs> like that's like pro pro snowboarders made money snowboarding. Now with social media, it's like companies have like, I remember there used to not be a thing called an, an ambassador. Like you were either like on the team or you weren't on the team. Your team rider. And, yeah. Or not. Yeah. And, uh, it just seems like, the companies that I was representing, like weren't trying to take it any further than just product, which is like, they're right. And yeah. So that's why I like stepped away from that this winter. I was like, I'm tired. I'm I was just tired of like representing a company that I didn't feel was like trying to also put their support more so into me rather than just like giving me some, of their product at like whatever it costs them to make, which probably pretty cheap. But uh, yeah. yeah, so um, for a while, I was running for Rosinal, had some, I've definitely had a little bit of support from like GoPro, uh, Gregory Backpacks. Um, yeah, those are like the three main companies that have supported me over the years. So nice. Well, from, yeah. from the sounds of your ambitious style of, of your new objectives, might I recommend Jones and that's, <laughs> I have a, I have a solution split board. And, um, when, when I was making my decision for a snowboard, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I just like it. <laughs> but yeah. I was like, all right, what should I get? You know, like I've had a K, my resort board is a K2 turbo dream, you know, heavy rocker whatever. Um, but I was like, Oh, this, you know, I like Jeremy Jones movies and stuff. And then I started looking into the different boards and the solution is the one that he's he like i think he climbed he, he snowboarded the grand on the solution or did his thing in the himalayas on it one of his big objectives was on like the exact board that i have yeah so i'm like if he can do it on that and i can get the same thing <laughs> all my objectives will be just fine <laughs> yeah totally yeah no jones they make great gear um actually jeremy jones before he started jones like if you watch deeper his mm -hmm. verse of the trilogy mm -hmm. he's actually riding for rosignol at that time oh yeah um so like a lot a lot of those companies that was like rosignol and burton and and jones like all these companies are making all their stuff in china it's like it's all it's a lot of it's all the same like it's kind of crazy like to yeah to look at what the shapes that rosignol has brought out over the last couple of years and then like see almost an identical shape from Jones. It's like, like they're little surfers. Like for a long time I was riding the sushi. That's like a 145 centimeter like pow surfer. Like that's what we went across the ribbon on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it wasn't made for that, but um, I had kind of a bigger foot. I wear a size 11 boot and it just like the width like really helps me snowboard. So, um, but yeah, yeah, a lot of those are all the same. Like I feel like, you know, if, if they if you make like a decent board it's going to be like sick no matter what board you're riding like and a lot of it comes down to like there's very few companies who make boards in america um, most of them are made over in china so you know probably shout out probably to, in, go ahead i was gonna say shout out to you know libtech and never summer and all those guys who are actually yeah. like 
doing it in America. That's right. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, I was gonna say the ones who make them overseas probably come from like the same like four or five factories. Is yeah, what yeah, I've learned. Guaranteed. Yeah, I have a friend here who worked at Steel for a while. Are you yep. familiar with Steel? Yeah, yeah, an outerwear company. Yeah, and and so he would tell me that like, they're the factories they have relationships with would make the same like all the same material for all the brands. Like this is the Marmot sweatshirt. So like all Marmot's shells and North Face shells, they all come from like the same factory in China or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just easiest. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that to that extent until when so Rosignol bought um felt bicycles some years back um and i was talking to one of the bike guys about like getting a rosy bike and so i was like well like are they felt bikes or are they rosy bikes and he kind of explained it it's like once you get like a good factory like that's what makes a good bike and so they like their bikes are different than felt bikes like different engineering and everything but it's made in the same factory because once you find a good factory that can make it, it's like that, it just makes it so much more plausible, so much easier to do that type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. But when they consider, when companies consider buying like different outdoor brands like that situation, you know, probably look at like, you know, what's our, what's our brand loyalty, where, what's our distribution look like? And then do we have good relationships with factories to just like make whatever thing we want, to go with like that could be a reason to purchase a company if they have good factory relationships yeah absolutely yeah the manufacturer is definitely like i believe that was like part of the reason it was like oh yeah felt has a super sweet i think it's in indonesia the factory mm. uh, cool yeah awesome um could you so we were chatting a little bit before we started recording um so you're just climbing at the gym today and you say the say the phrase again you popped a what i popped a pulley popped a pulley okay so explain that <laughs> explain that to, to the audience he's not flicking me off um explain that to the audience what kind of injury this is yeah so a pulley is uh basically it's like the little ligaments that attach across the tendons that like allow your finger to curl yeah. without having your ligament or your tendon like pop outward. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, I've been trying this V6 boulder problem. Um, and I was like repetitiously trying it. And I was getting so close to the top. And then uh, I, so normally when you pop a pulley, you're like on a crimp. So you just on like a micro edge and like your fingers are like just barely holding on to anything. And that's where most people pop a pulley. But I was like on this big, like, tufa style like open-handed hold and i just grabbed onto it too much and the tip of my finger was curled back just slightly on the wall and i like made this big move and i felt i've heard of the pop like oh the pulley pop and i felt this pop in my finger and i like jumped down immediately and i was like you have to be kidding me like i wasn't even crimping because most people say it happens or like most of the time it happens from crimping but mm -hmm. Uh, supposedly you can do it on any style of hold if you do it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just injured my finger. Um, went to PT today, Carrie Cooper, Rev PT. She was rad. Um, she's supposed to be like one of the best pulley PTs in the area or the world. I don't know. I guess she just got published in some international journal of medicine. Uh, she's like a climber. She works with the U S climbing team. Um, so I got in with her today and she basically assessed it down to my A4 pulley has 
and ruptured. Uh, she showed me how to tape it in a special way. You can like tape it with an, it's called H taping, or she also made me like a little uh, moldable, there's actually like a little shell under this tape. It's like a black thing that uh-huh. she like molded it to my exact finger size and it just like mimics uh, a pulley. So I'm not putting any tension onto that pulley so that I get it'll heal itself if I just don't load it. Um, it'll eventually just like heal back together and it should be good in like three to six weeks, hopefully. Hopefully yeah. two. <laughs> so does that mean you're going to be doing some more snowboarding then as opposed to climbing? Um, honestly, it needs to snow. Uh, we got two really big storms in November and ever since then it's been, uh, our snow in the Wasatch hasn't been prevalent. That's why I was down in the desert climbing and that's why I've just been in the gym. Like there's enough to go out and dilly dally. But, um, ever since I butt checked on that rock back in 2013 and broke my back, uh, like low tide really scares me. Mm-hmm. so i don't go out much like when it's super low tide um, yeah. unless it's like the middle of the winter and i just like find myself in a zone that has lower snowpack but um yeah for the most part i don't go out when there's not much snow yeah uh so that's why i haven't been going out so i've just been like trying to go to the gym and climb and i'm not just climbing at the gym i'm also like doing cardio and you know like working out, like lifting weights, like just trying to be ready for when it snows. So when it does snow, um, I can go out and be fit. Yeah. Well, kind of, well, I've been, I've been doing that too, going to the gym pretty regularly during the week. And then on the weekend, I'll go out and do a tour or a boot pack. Um, what kind of lifts have you been doing to, to prepare yourself for big ascents and snowboarding and splitboarding? Yeah. So um, I've been running on the treadmill. Like, so I go do cardio for sure. Uh, I think that's super important. Uh, I've just been running for like 20 minutes, which comes out to be like, for me at the pace I'm going, it's like just over two miles. Um, And then I kind of go through like the regimen of the whole body. Um, So like I'll either do back and buys one day or I'll do chest and tries another day. And then um, basically I've been doing a bunch of deadlifts for like, legs and core and then a lot of core work too um i dated this girl for like a year and she she like showed me this super gnarly core workout like she would tear me up with core work she called it she called it abs by alley and it abs was like, by alley shout out yeah yeah and uh so now i do abs by alex and uh <laughs> uh it's like it's pretty like there's a bunch of different core works. Like a lot of people just like go do like crunches, which is just, I mean, crunches are fine, but when you do like 30 seconds or a minute of like, I could saw do like a minute plank, a minute, like knee to elbow planking in the same position, like bringing my knees to my elbows. And then like all sorts of like pelvic lifts laying on your back and bicycles and, you know, Russian twists. Like if, when you like really go full circle with your core work, um, they can be like way more effective Uh, and and core is like going into a season with a really strong core makes a huge difference just being able to move in the mountains like if you can move from your core and less like a lot of so from massage i've learned like a lot of people move from their quads like a lot of people are very quad dominant which can cause like a lot of knee problems um cause a lot of low back pain because if you're not lengthening fully in your back stride your hip flexors are going to get tight and one of your most powerful hip flexors attaches on your low back, 
your psoas muscle, PSOAS. It's a very important one. Yeah. Um, so like, like having a nice, strong core and foundation to move from, it's like, it's made such a huge difference in just the ability to move in the mountains uh, for sure. Like once I started like really doing core work, I definitely felt like my athleticism, like bump up multiple notches. So, yeah. Um, and then recently, well, like literally yesterday, <laughs> um, I started rowing. Um, and I think like, I'm going to go tunnel vision. I'm gonna turn lights on. I'm going to go tunnel vision on, uh, on rowing. It's a really good full body workout. It works your quads. It works your back muscles. It works your core. And then you're also like cardiovascularly working out as well. So, yeah. Um, I think with this injury, I'm going to do a bunch of rowing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I kind of worked through the whole body in that sense. Um, also, you know, squats and, um, like power cleans. Um, but, Oh man. So I played, I played uh, football in college and like, so we had to, we'd have to power clean a fucking lot. And so after I got <laughs> yeah. done with that, I'm like, I'm done with power cleans. I'm yeah. done beating myself up, like ripping hands up. Like I get, you know, you get like collarbone rashes from catching yep. the bar there. Yeah. Done with that. Um, but I've been doing a bunch of just, you know, regular back squat. Um, what do they call it? Bulgarian split squats. I've found a yeah. really good because you can do, you really get that deep squat. And um, because we're snowboarders, our back foot's a lot stronger than our front foot. Yeah. So like it helps me strengthen my front foot as well. Totally. Um, without having the aid of the back foot. And then um, in that same sense, um, doing like single leg RDLs just with like a, just with some sort of kettlebell and making sure I go really slow, get my form really good, just rip up the hamstrings um, and then help with the balance too, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, those have been my, oh, and, and uh, step ups, step ups have been my staple for like, if I know I'm going to go do hiking or skinning, like that's like, yeah. that's like what we're doing, but with backpacks in, in the back country and with snowboards on our feet. So that's like the yeah. best exercise I've found that like gets me ready for, for a big hike. Yeah, when I was training for Denali in the spring, it's like I was in like excellent cardiovascular shape. I did a ton of ski touring last year. Um, but when I was training for Denali, I was started do, just going onto the stair stepper and I was putting like 80 pounds in my backpack and stair yeah. stepping for an, for an hour. Yeah. With 80 pounds, like it was pretty brutal, <laughs> but <laughs> that was uh definitely definitely got me like what feeling like I was ready to go climb Denali. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think the backpack thing is a, is a kind of an unfor uh, a forgotten piece of like being in good shape. Like yeah. you could have strong legs and strong strong arms and good core, um, but if your body doesn't know how to like carry weight and like do mm -hmm. it at altitude, you could have some issues when you start to go doing get to do stuff outside. Yeah, I also um, <laughs> I also carried two and a half gallons of water up Mount Superior, uh, like. <laughs> breaking trail last spring <laughs> wow. yeah so it was not like i said mount superior is like uh three thousand vertical feet so um yeah we went out super early in the morning and i carried two and a half gallons of water and then i dumped it all out on the summit it was pretty crazy you didn't drink any actually, of it uh no i i also had well so i brought a two and a half gallon jug. And then I brought like uh, my Nalgene to drink out of. 
<laughs> so I, I drink funny. out of my Nanjing. Yeah. yeah. But awesome, no, man. um, honestly, like going up superior, I've, it's, I don't even have to like drink much water anymore. It's kind of gotten to that point of like feeling easy enough that mm-hmm. I can just, I, I always carry too much water and I always end up like, I'm really good at carrying water around all day and getting back <laughs> to the car and having, you know, a liter of water left or, yeah. So, but no, that was the day that did thinking of that day. That was the day. So I, me and this kid were breaking trail up superior all morning long in the dark. I had two and a half gallons of water. These doctor guys were showing up early. So that's a big thing about Salt Lake is you can like ski 3000 feet and then show up for a nine o'clock shift in the morning. Um, so these guys like were on our hindtails the whole time and we like hit the summit. I dumped out all the water. I was literally just waiting for the sun to come up. And these guys were like, are you going to ski it? Cause if you're not going to ski it, we're going to go. And I was like, wait, you have to be like, I was like, the sun's not even up. Like it's still below the horizon. <laughs> They're like, Oh yeah, but we have to go to work. And I was like, I don't like, so you're just going to like snake our line. Uh, and they were like, yeah, <laughs> basically like, I don't know who they were. Um, I was talking to actually one of the, one of the doctors out here, ER doctor, um, Andy Duray. He's like, savage in the mountains he moves him and his brother jason dre they do like insane touring um they've done like they have a tour called the whole kogum it's like twenty thousand vert and like crazy crazy mileage they did in a day but that's insane um he was like who was it and i was like i don't know i didn't catch your name and he was like oh if you would have i would give him shit like <laughs> but uh yeah so we ended up like dropping in like no viz like it was literally the sun wasn't even out yet yeah and we like started skiing down Mount Superior. <laughs> it was like kind of crazy. Uh, but then the one kid, I was actually, I stopped under this line called Pinball Alley. It's like a uh, super steep. It's probably like 45 to 50 degrees. And it's just like this like finger of rock. It's like pretty short, probably only like 300 vert, but it's like really steep and it's really narrow. And in the middle, it kind of S turns. Um, I actually just posted a video of it on my Instagram. Um, and that like I've always tried to send this line like it's super hard to like flow it and uh that was that kid that I was with he had to he wanted to go do something else so I let him go do it and I hiked up it solo and uh like waited for the sun to come up (laughs) and uh yeah I I finally like dropped in and sent the whole line like top to bottom float it because most of the one we say uh flow like water flow like water yeah 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 it's, i think i uh, shared this to my story people were freaking out about it yeah it's pretty crazy man uh because most of the time like where i like slightly white room myself uh most of the time like you'll probably stop there and let your slough pass because it pretty much sloughs anytime you ski it in powder yeah uh sloughs like a little bit of avalanche that's gonna funnel down behind you mm-hmm. um you either go real fast and beat your slough or you like break break check yourself, pull off to the side, let yourself pass. And then you like go like after everything like settles back down. This was the first time. So I've, that was my third time skiing it. And that was the first time I ever actually like committed to just opening it up like fifth gear pin through there. It was super wild. That was last season. That was the, the gnarliest thing that I did. Yeah. There's sure. a point in there where like, it's right when you get um, white roomed 
and there's like a rock that kind of just comes out of nowhere and then you're like yeah. you like curve around it and like i don't know yeah. if you saw that there or what but yeah yeah i mean i knew so that's like where i said like in the middle of it there's just like a very slight s turn and that makes it like if it was just like straight it wouldn't be like that big of a deal to just like yeah. point it through that thing but like the factor that you have to like edge and then edge again uh i mean it's called pinball alley mm. like probably for a reason <laughs> yeah talk yeah. about so so the rest of this caption is there's a little bit to unpack here um and if you want to i mean let me know if you don't want to unpack this but you have a hashtag in there called that says death to free marketing yeah yeah death to free marketing so that's what i was talking about that's like yeah. why i stepped away from my sponsors this year um i just feel like the industry has this trend of like they don't need to pay anymore. They, mm -hmm. if you won't do it for a product, like a hundred thousand other people are more than happy to do it for product. Mm -hmm. And like, that's where I think everything kind of has this downfall. And like, there's a lot of comments on there and you know, some of my good friends are like, they're both sides of the story are on there. Like some people are like, well, you need to just like do your own thing and make your own money elsewhere, like through your own marketing and your own type of business plan. And other people are like, yes, I totally agree. It's like, so I just think that people are completely underselling themselves. Like I always put this example out there. The most expensive photograph ever sold from Peter Lick, L-I-K. And it's a photo of, of the desert. And it's like, I forget what it is. It's like $6 million mm -hmm. for a photograph. And it's just like, that's what my, like, that's the type of money that can be made through. I mean, yes, he, he's doing it himself. He's selling it his own business, but it's like, that's what photographs are worth. It's called the ghost. And ghost. yeah, just type in the most expensive photograph ever. So, oh yeah. Of, uh, is that antelope? Canyon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's what I was just saying. It's like, snowboarders back in the day used to get paid like to to support a company and companies would pay an athlete to be supported by that athlete and nowadays it's just like they don't really care no one wants to pay an athlete because i can give you product at cost and it's just like this big downfall that is just trending so hard and that's where it's like ambassadors used to not be a thing and mm now it's a thing and it's like something that we all have to get used to but it's just like i don't know i just i feel like companies should be much more willing to pay for like social media even and they're not and it's like it's 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 kind of a bummer uh like you know growing up i've started filming snowboarding when i was 14 years old and it was like I knew when I was 16, 17 years old that I wanted to be a professional snowboarder. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to make money snowboarding and like shooting films. And it's just like, no one wants to pay anymore. Everyone. And it's like, how, now it's like, now how do I travel the world and get paid to snowboard? And it's like, I mean, I, I guess I got to start my own business and sell my own gear and do that type of thing. It's like, it's not the end of the world for that, but it's also like, I was like riding for Rosignol, like they're one of the biggest ski providers in the industry. 
like you know they're a 370 million euro dollar company mm-hmm. and it's like i'm not asking for a year's salary i'm just you know i just want to like get you some stellar content and not have it come out of my own pocketbook because getting three snowboards a year like doesn't provide me food that i have to buy every week and travel expenses and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff so i just feel like so many athletes now are just like it's almost like no one knows better anymore everyone's forgotten that you can make money through this because like everyone's just like oh like do you want a board it's like oh yeah oh, i'd love a board it's like well I, i've just kind of gotten to this point where it's like i'm not going to do it for a board anymore it's like i'll buy my own board i'm i make enough money where i can i can buy a snowboard i can buy three snowboards if i i really wanted to mm-hmm. or whatever maybe outerwear it's like all that stuff so yeah I, it's just been really heavy on my mind and it was like it was really hard to like you know, send that email to Rosy and be like, Hey, like, I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing this winter. Like, you know, we all, we left on good terms. Like there's no hard feelings there, but like, it was super hard because like, I know the potential is there for them to pay. Um, and it's just been so frustrating over the last few years to like, not just to like hear no over and over and over and over again. Um, and that was why I was like, one of my comments on there is to my buddy and it was just like, you know, like stagnant water gets toxic. And it's just like, I just feel like it was really stagnant and it wasn't going anywhere. And like, I even see like smaller companies coming up who are like at least doing stuff with their team riders. Like maybe they're not paying, but they're at least like doing stuff as a clan, as a crew and like, you know, getting sick content out there. And it's, and when they're doing that, it's it's coming from the company. Like it's not coming from the athlete's pocket. Mm-hmm. And like, that's at least like better than something. But, you know, it was really hard to like, for me, it's like almost a slap in the face. It feels like <laughs> it's just like, I, and I don't, I don't mean to be egotistical and I, I try not to be an egotistical person in, in all aspects of life. Like I definitely don't think I'm the best snowboarder in the world. But like, yeah, if you're like coming to me and you want content for building your brand, like, and you're not willing to pay for it, it's just like that, that is a problem for me internally. So I don't know, they'll be, they'll be just fine. They're going to be great. They're going to be, yeah, you know, they're still the biggest snowboard, one of the biggest snowboard manufacturers in the world. So uh, they'll be fine without me, but yeah, I'm basically not taking on any more sponsors for product. Like I've pretty much just set a boundary in my life and like just a personal, like I just, I think it's wrong. I, I think photography and videography and social media is that like, that's what social media is. It's photography and videography. Um, I think that's worth more than, you know, the, maybe thousand dollars it it takes to get some product that's yeah. like i think that's being generous like a thousand bucks like i don't think you know then that's like just that's just snowboards like i don't think snowboards even cost them that much to make so i don't know no i don't know what it no, costs like a snowboard yeah yeah it's kind <laughs> of it's kind of like this um two-sided thing with with just the growth of social media where you're right brands have gotten they they don't have to pay people because uh, for their content 
anymore because they can give a shout out or they can give a little, they can give a fucking sticker. They can give a snowboard, they can give a hat. And I've experienced that myself where like I took a picture, it was of the grand, but it included like this super fancy hotel that's here. Um, and it's like $3,000 a night for a room there. So Mm -hmm. it's super expensive and they just go and share it on their own and tag me. And I'm kind of, I mean, at the time I was like, yeah, whatever it's happened. They tag me. I don't really care. But they've just gotten so used to like, oh, we tagged him. He's fine. We don't have to do anything else um, besides that. Because if I, if I raised a fit and said, no, take it down, they'd just take it down and find the next guy that didn't care. Yeah. So there's definitely that, and I've experienced that. But then on the flip side too, because of social media and how much easier it is to make content, make good content today, the – the ability for the random individual to, to get something out of their content is easier than it's ever been. Yeah. Right? And so I see, I see, I see a lot in the winter sports world where it's shifting away from like these gatekeepers at, you know, whether it's the movie companies or the, the, um, the gear brands, it's mm-hmm. shifting away from them being gatekeepers to this promised land that is being a professional you know, whatever, making your own content, whatever, to I can do my own thing, make my own content. And as long as there's viewers and it's just on its own, its own bubble, as opposed to like, I'm trying to go with this. I'm not saying this how I wanted to. (laughs) With the movie stuff, I see more and more these kind of like B, B, B level, C level, D level type um, athletes. And, and I say that with a high regard, like they have a good following, but they're not Travis Rice. Yeah. Instead of trying to get into TGR's next movie, which may not happen, they go and say, I'm going to make a YouTube series where I post something every week or every two weeks, or even one long edit for the whole season, get hundreds of thousands of views on that. And then just figure out the business plan to say, um, you know, maybe I can't get straight money for that but maybe i get a pass from somewhere maybe i get you know a snowboard and maybe i get like a gear here the gear there whatever get a free camera um and then through the platforms there's routes to like actual money you know yeah yeah youtube is one of those yeah, it's TikTok like has started doing that tiktok yeah like literally last year i made more money on tiktok than i've ever made uh like through any sponsors, yeah. through any social media platform ever. Like I'd never made money on Instagram or, you know, and then like, you know, very, very little money through sponsors. And uh, yeah, last year was like my TikTok was going crazy and like people would pay me to put music, like put their music behind my video. Like I literally mm-hmm. got paid just to really? like, feature music. Like that was like a big source of income for me. That's sick, that, dude. Yeah, and then uh, like like certain videos that would go viral. Like I license out a couple of videos to companies who license them out to like get used like throughout. So I had a couple. I I you know license out just a few videos, and it's like I get a paycheck here and a paycheck there. They just like randomly show up. Like oh here's hundred bucks, here's three hundred bucks here, and so that mm. was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, no, I see it for both sides, man. I, like I just think it's way too easy for a company to get marketing nowadays. And it's like marketing has become worthless and it's like, it's not worthless. Mm -hmm. It's 
it's worth something because these companies are making a lot of money and not every company makes a lot of money and I get it. It's like certain companies are just starting up and they don't make enough money to pay you and it's fine. Like, but like if you're making, you know, a million bucks and you can't fork out a little bit of money for some marketing content or, I mean, you can, they can, they do like people do, but I don't know. There's, it's it's very limited and there was actually one of my other friends it was like sometimes like companies are paying like you said like they're paying people who aren't even that good at snowboarding but they have a lot of followers mm-hmm. and so they're like paying more for like a model than they're paying their athletes who like go represent their their company all the time so yeah yeah, yeah it's that's really a- hard that's that's that aspect somewhat bothers me like i'll be scrolling instagram and i follow like the hashtag jackson hole and Mm -hmm. you know you'll see like you see like actually quality mountaineers like they're doing crazy shit like you know the stuff that i do that's like more ambitious side you know we'll get whatever amount of likes whatever amount of engagement um and it's like minimal like in the grand scheme of things it's minimal and then you turn around in the same hashtag and you see like some chick in a onesie on like the bunny hill showing off her ass. And that says thousands of stuff. And it's like, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My, I just like, yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay. And, and you know, like it's thousands of likes and in the onesie was a brand partnership that she had because she shows her ass off, you know, or like the four seasons has a group of girls out and they call it like this rustic trip. Like, no bitches that's not rustic like because you're in a small resort town i guess like but it's also like we get five million people every year so yeah i i definitely feel the frustration of that like how it's more about the model than it is anything yeah and honestly it's not the business's fault i don't it's not at all the business's fault it's everyone who's willing to do it for product like there's there's too many people who are just willing to do it for product and it's it's saturated everything and that's where it's like if if you won't do it for free like the next person will and yeah. like i'm i've gotten to this point in my in my life and and snowboarding and all this stuff it's just like all right like let someone else do it for free or do it yeah. for a board like psyched like if that makes them super psyched like sick yeah but i want yeah, i want to do more like, like you can't even really fault the people that'll do it for a board, you know? Cause what if they like, what if they're can't the beginning of their, their journey? Yeah. Can't yeah. afford a board. They're the beginning of their content journey. They just started saying, mm-hmm. I want to make a goal towards doing this for some sort of money. And that's like their totally. biggest thing. It's really more yeah. of like, to take it back to like economics, economics 101, it's supply versus demand. Like the demand is fairly yeah. high for this stuff, but the supply is even higher. So like, yeah, yeah. it, I, I think it's just like, you know, I, I bet when like TV, like in the 60s and 70s, when TV was like really, really picking up, I bet mm-hmm. everybody was a fucking actor that would do it for like nothing. You know, it's probably that sort of yeah. same wave where we're just seeing, we're just in the middle of this wave that eventually we'll get through this and not everybody's going to be trying to be an influencer. Just like, it, no, now, not everyone's trying to be an actor, right? Yeah. Like we just happen to be in this revolution of technology and how we interact with people on the internet that nobody's ever seen before totally yeah well death of free marketing guys 
that's a free market. And I'm down with that. This, this logo I'm wearing, this is, so I, on my little side gig, I started a marketing company and this is our logo. So we don't do free marketing except for my girlfriend. She's sometimes our free model, but um, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm there with you, man. Yeah, actually, when right before we started, you uh, stepped out for a second. And I like flipped <laughs> flip my shirt inside out. I was like, nope. <laughs> no I saw your collar. I was like, oh, maybe is that inside out? I'm not going to say it's anything. We're recording out. already. Yeah. Yeah, we're not going to mention the purpose. brand. Don't even say it. No, nope, this is just a t-shirt. Probably made in China. Probably made in China. So, All right, man. Um, we're, we're probably over an hour now. I don't know where it says we're at. But um, yeah, I don't know. we should wrap this up. Um, so, yeah, tell everyone your, your TikTok handle, your Instagram handle, anywhere they can find you, um, and your website, if you'd like that. Yeah, so you can find me Instagram and TikTok at Wild Wild Wasatch, all one word there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a website. I'm not even sure. I need to revamp my website a bit, but it's just alexgavick.com, A-L-E-X-G-A-V-I-C.com. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah if you guys ever have any questions i'm pretty good actually at like responding to people's dms things like that so i don't mind getting questions about backcountry climbing whatever whatever it may be but uh yeah um, that's where they can find me yeah yeah go check him out he does a lot of like pov style gopros for his for actually both stuff like yeah both your climbing and your snowboarding and you're right and i forgot to say this in the beginning but um, about your DMs, like I just messaged you randomly and said, like, "Hey, I have this podcast. Do you want to come on?" And you're like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it. I'm I'm in the desert, but when I get back, let's do it." Yeah, yep, yeah. I like talking to people. I think like social media. I've actually before we wrap it up, I guess it's just like it was really cool. One day, I like sent Chris Burkhart uh, a DM about like when I was buying a camera. I was like, "What lens should I get?" And like he has like millions of followers. Yeah, he DM me back and he was like, "This is what I use," and I was like holy shit like <laughs> thanks for <laughs> thanks for responding so holy i always shit, try to man. return that love like yeah, that's, you know that's it's always great. good like i know i don't i don't feel like i have many followers but then there's you know people out there who have even less followers and so i yeah i always try to to share the love back so i try not to be jaded in that form yeah i'm trying to see i thought i saw that you either he they follow you or you follow him um andrew muse and uh and Ashley, do you just be yeah. in Utah and Park City people? Do you do you know each other at all? Yeah, yeah, we used to ski at the resort a lot. Um, and I've been—he's really good at responding, and I've been trying yeah. to get him on here for like since I started it. <laughs> he's yeah. been busy doing stuff with his, with his new setup, but yeah, yeah, we should try to get him on here. Yeah, yeah, uh, Andrew Muse, come on, dog. Andrew Muse, so Tyler wants you on here, so yeah, yeah. Uh, Andrew was on Rousey before we were on Rousey. Um, so yeah we but yeah we used to ski canyons and stuff together so that's awesome yeah man cool um let's see is there anything else that i want to i think that's it oh um if you have any time once your finger heals up or whatever get up to jackson i've got a spot for your van to park here i live Sick. like on the I road ski the grand yeah i don't know i don't think i could do that but i, I can do the ford statner and the otter body bro yeah Okay, I could be your base camp for that. I don't know if I can do it with you. Sick. But yeah, I live like on the road to the resort, like between the pass and the resort basically. So it's like the prime location for anything in the Tetons. Perfect, man. So yeah, come on out and we will shoot something. We'll do stuff, like whatever. We'll go shred Nar. Awesome. I'll definitely let you know. Yep. 
Thanks, everyone. That's an episode.